Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Mid-South Television Review Show, where this week, the great Brian Lass and I are going to cover Mid-South Wrestling from June the 5th of 1982. But before we get started, let me welcome in the man behind the 605 Super Podcast, the mothership, the great Brian Lass. Brian, how are you today, man? Aloha, Mike. I am great. Doing good. It's a good episode of Mid-South Wrestling to talk about. There's a lot to talk about here. And there's a lot that will be talked about by Bill Watts on commentary. So there's a lot going on. This, of course, the second show taped on the May 26, 1982 television taping in Shreveport, Louisiana at the Irish Bingo Boys Club. And uh, there's a lot going on this week in Mid-South. Yeah, we got a pretty busy episode. We got some Paul Ellering again. Wow, that's all I'll say. We'll get into that wow. later. We got, some, yeah. <laughs> we got some Dick Murdoch, Ted DiBiase. We got some JYD action taking place along with Bob Roop. So really, really good stuff on the agenda for this week's episode. Uh, Brian, we hadn't talked about this much, but I want to thank everyone out there who's gone out onto Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, whatever it's known by now, and given us a bunch of five-star reviews. So thank you if you've done so. And if you haven't and you love this show, Please give us a couple five star reviews or throw us a five star review. We would definitely appreciate it. So I want a, a five star review. I don't think they can actually give a couple of five star reviews. Just one five star review will be appreciated. I think technically, like you kind of could, but you'd have to create like multiple Apple IDs. Not that you would want to do that, but <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> a five star review would be uh, very, very appropriate, and we would definitely appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you to everyone who already has. We've never even mentioned it on the show. And it just come to our attention that there was a bunch of really, really positive feedback on there. So thank you to everyone. We appreciate that you guys like and uh, enjoy this show and listen to it every week. And there's a lot to listen to this week. And why don't we kick it right off with Boyd Pierce and Cowboy Bill Watts opening up the show. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-Southwestern Television Network. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and a great card headline by North American Heavyweight Championship match. Bob Roop, the champion, defending against the challenge of the Junkyard Dog. Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch is here. Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death Steve Williams will be back. Our guest commentator of the week, the man who cannot be outdone, but gets more votes every time we receive mail, Cowboy Bill Watts. Bill? Well, thank you, boys. As long as I'm getting your vote and your invitation, I guess I'll be here with you. And I certainly enjoy it and appreciate it. And I want to say we appreciate the fans and their participation, and especially Precious Paul Ellering with these kids that appear on these little spotlight on Precious Paul segments. And I think they get a kick out of it, and they get to watch themselves back at home when they see Mid-South on the air. But we'll join right now Precious Paul and he's going to show a different way of training. I think possibly, Boyd Pierce, he may drink a little of the beverage that's in these things, but he's taking the six-pack, the plastic six-pack holders in this feat of strength, and he says that, you know, you can have a single one, or you double it over, and there's two, or you double it over again, there's three. Anyway, you'll see Precious Paul finally with 18 rings that he does. It's rather unique, and then he also has a unique way of treating uh, old expired license tags. Let's join the Precious One now. He kind of lays it all out there, but still upon hearing it, you're not prepared for what you're about to see. This Paul Ellering segment where, yeah, yeah. and he puts Go. it really nicely, Mike. He puts it really nicely there. What did he say? Plastic beer can holder where Paul Ellering will put it very differently in a moment. But this segment we're about to see Paul Ellering working out with kids once again in Reeser Bowden. What a, what a team this is. The Reeser and Ellering show that's been going on on and off for months now. What a team this is. He lays it out for you, but 
This segment isn't currently out there on the WWE Network, correct? Yeah. So actually, they what what it is is they play the part of the segment up until where Ellering drops the line that his doctor has told him he's got Pac-Man fever and Reeser loses it <laughs> when Reeser just starts laughing his butt off because he has no clue what's coming and the laugh is completely organic. At that point on the network, they stop it. And I don't know if they stop it because they just didn't want to dub out Pac-Man fever that then starts playing during the workout with the six pack rings, but they stop it with Reeser chuckling and laughing on the network. For historical purposes, we're going to play the original audio as it originally aired. Here is Reeser Bowden with Paul Ellering and a bunch of kids. I don't know how they got these kids in there once again. I don't know whose idea any of this was. But let's now go to this segment, and we'll talk about it more, much more, on the other side. And the spotlight, once again, is on precious Paul Ellering. Paul Ellering likes to work with kids and trying to teach them how to build a near-perfect body as he has. <laughs> you know, Racer, precious Paul's had a lot of bad luck lately. And precious Paul had another setback. I had to go to the doctor, Racer. And the reason, and I and I asked the doc. I says, Doc, I, I I just don't feel good, Doc. And he says, Precious Paul, you look bad. I say, I know I look bad. Look at that arm. That arm is bad. But I don't feel good. The doctor ran a bunch of tests on me. I asked the doc. I says, Doc, Doc, tell me, am I going to be all right? He says, Precious Paul, you might have to hold it off a little bit. I don't think you're quite ready. I says, Doc, what do I got? He says, you got a fatal disease. It's been affecting hundreds and thousands of people all over the country. I said, Doc, what is this disease? You know what he said to me, Reeser? I have no idea. He said, Precious baby, you got Pac-Man fever. Pac-Man fever indeed. Now, Precious Paul. Precious Paul's been out here, and we've been doing a lot of exercising. And now, Precious Paul was the sole inventor of Pose the Disco. Did you pose the disco? All right. Now, I'm the sole inventor of Pose the Disco. Now, Precious Paul is in the exercise, and we're changing it from Pose the Disco to Fresh Eyes. Precious plus exercise equals fresh eyes. Now, here we go. We got beer rings here, Reeser. Beer rings. I got three of them. These good-looking kids here got all different kinds, and we're going to fold them. I'm going to end up with three beer rings all folded into one hole, and these kids are going to try it at different levels along. This girl's got two. Let's see if you can do it now. Let's play that music over there. Play that music. Yeah. Pull it apart. Oh, that's a good try. Now, let's try it. He's got two. He's got six. Give it a good pull. Good. Oh, boy. <laughs> let's see you do it now. All right. He's got six of them. Hold it. Pull. Good try. Okay, now we got some big boys. Let's see what this guy can do. He's got two rings with two holes open. Go. Right. And he got it. It's easy. Okay, you put these here into one. Make them all one. Good. Give it a big pull now. All right, that's good. Oh, 
Let's see you try. You, you had it easy last time. Good. All right, now we got it nailed down. Precious Paul. He's got them all in the one. Three, six, that's 18 rings all together. Watch Precious Paul. And he broke them. Now let's see what you can do with that. I'm going to show you why it's really tough. I'm going to tear this license plate in half. Come on, man. Now you can do it. Yay! What do you think of that? How about that? Remember, you are there. That's how it ends. It ends with him saying, you are there. And then it just ends. And, you know, I've seen all the Ken Patera segments and other people like Mark Henry. When did tearing a license plate become one of the feats of strength? I don't think I've ever seen that before. You know, I'm trying to remember. Remember that the that like um, group, the power team or whatever that used to tour the country and they used to tear the phone books. I think they were called the power team. They would tear like phone books and they would do these different feats of strength. I was trying to remember if if I've ever seen them now, this would have been after this. So obviously this, this is, you know, Paul Ellering would have preceded them, but they, I'm trying to remember if I've ever seen video of them, you know, tearing the, the license plate. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just taking a shot in the dark. I can't remember. So anybody out there remembers that, you know, feel free to mention it to me on Twitter, but I don't know. I don't know when tearing a license plate became a thing. That thing had to be partially ripped or started. There's no way he tore a license plate. I just can't believe that, but who knows? He was a tough guy and he was a strong guy. However, you know, unless uh, unless you've got the original footage, you won't be able to see this because it's not on the network uh, to the point we were making before we started this. But this was, oh no, Brian, this just continues to be just off the wall. What are we doing here with Ellering? Well, it started with real calisthenics too. It started with sit-ups and push-ups, chin-ups, and now it's Let's tear beer rings. <laughs> like that's the, I'm going to rip this license plate in half. <laughs> Reeser is such an enabler. He's just, anything Ellering says, he smiles, he hands it to him, and then he looks at the camera like this guy again. You know? So so here's like, this is what you can't see, right? This is what you can't see if you're just listening to the audio of it. So the workout segment or the set, not even a workout segment, the segment begins and Reeser continues to look at the cameras and he smirks nearly every time Ellerine pauses. This is before they start breaking the rings. So Ellerine is talking about this disease when he finally announces he has Pac-Man fever. Now, before that, again, every time Ellerine paused, Reeser looks at the camera and smirks. But when Ellerine mentions he's got Pac-Man fever, Reeser laughs his butt off. He had no clue what was coming because his reaction was that of someone who just it got thrown out there, and he's like, oh, listen to this guy. He's a riot. It was just funny because he keeps looking at the camera, smirking, and then when the punchline comes, he laughs uncontrollably. And this is all before the rings start getting ripped apart. By the way, it's a long way to go. It's a lot to do to get to that punchline. Like, was it really worth it to eat up that much time to get to the Pac-Man fever punchline of the bit? Apparently it So they can play that song. He, he loves that song. This is the second time they played Pac-Man Fever. It was originally physical by Olivia Newton-John. Now it's Pac-Man Fever. Maybe they're following the music charts. Maybe Ellering's reading Billboard and 
staying up with what's a hit and what isn't at that very moment. But uh, I don't know. One of the kids, the one kid who actually rips right through the little one who rips through the thing, he almost looks like a little adult. Like, not like a, a little person, but he looks like a little kid dressed like like an old trucker or like like Hank's grandson or something. <laughs> yeah, something he... very, like, stern about this kid. Very, like, you know, very tough and stern. Uh, but, yeah, another interesting Ellering segment. One, one other thing. At the end, when Ellering rips apart the license plate, Reeser looks and goes, how about that? And he smirks again. <laughs> he is the best job in the world. Watts has to be rethinking this whole strategy <laughs> right about this time. Like, what are we doing? These segments are going nowhere. But uh, the show goes somewhere. And from there, yeah. we go to the first match that we're going to get, which is the Turk versus Dick Murdoch with Alfred Neely as the referee. I have some audio I want to play here in a moment, Mike. But I have to say, I don't know why this match more than the other ones to me, but it really exposed the size difference, just how short the Turk was. He has to be like 5'5 five, five at the most. Yeah, he's not a big guy. I mean, even like when you see him standing next to Reeser in the ring, you can, you can see like – and I, I mean, Reeser's not a tall man. At least I don't think he was. But um, you can very much see the, the size disparity there. Also, like if you watch the Turk in the corner of the ring, he's – I mean, his it, – it almost looks like his shoulders are at the, the top of the rope. I mean, he's like – the top rope is where his shoulders are. So he definitely is a, he's a sure he's compact. Don't get me wrong, but he's, he's not a tall guy at all. He's short. No, very short. And, uh, the match is relatively short as well. <laughs> what a transition there. That is. But, uh, Mike, one of the things I wanted to mention is this match is a great example of a match where Boyd Pierce does not get a word in literally not one word. Watts his first match on the show has a lot. He wants to get out there and he does. And I have a small example of that. Because I like to always show whenever Watts cites America. I think it's always a good thing to show. And he does while talking about Murdoch and his ongoing feud with Akbar and company, which is so sort of a recap of that feud as well. So let's listen to this audio right now. Well, Boyd, I think you made a key statement right there. You know, a lot of people get down on America. But Dick travels so much on his foreign tours. He said that the people that are down on this country and really and truly griping about it are really truly upset. They ought to have to go in these foreign countries and live you know he gets to go there like a celebrity and he says it's still he wouldn't trade one ounce of it he kisses the ground of the good old us of a when he comes back and like he is truly an american 100 percent and they tried to get him last last week here on mid-south with the newcomer rick hangman harris and skandar akbar was trying to defang murdoch by getting his his marine corps pack and getting keeping the weapons and the all the different paraphernalia in there away from Dick. And of course, it backfired, and Dick still beat Rick Hangman Harris. But then the one-man gang came when Murdoch attacked Skandar Akbar, and Hangman Harris shows that he's a force to be reckoned with, and he got that hangman rope, and he stretched Dick Murdoch out. And thank goodness Iron Mike Sharp and Jesse Barr, who were in the next two upcoming matches standing by, quickly and instinctively rushed to his aid because Dick could have been seriously injured. Of course, Akbar would have loved that. He would have loved to have sent Murdoch to the hospital instead of on that tour that will be so lucrative for Murdoch. Nip up by the big man. So a little bit of the recap of where we are with Murdoch and Akbar, and, of course, about how great America is and how much Murdoch appreciates it when he's in those foreign countries like, I guess, Japan, which was a country I believe he loved going to and had a great time. And so I'm not sure which country uh, exactly he toured that. Gave him that impression, but 
Boyd doesn't talk. Dick Murdoch wins with a brain buster. And from there, we get Randy Bass versus Ted DiBiase with Rick Ferreira as the ref. I got to say, Randy Bass, just for looking through the card here, the Turk, Randy Bass, Billy the Starchild star, Mike Hudspeth, and then Jim Starr. It's like a prison break. Like this crew, it's like a, just this crew that escaped a prison and somehow ended up at the Irish McNeil Boys Club. What a what a crew this is. Randy Bass versus Ted DiBiase. What are you going to say? What? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I mean, look, I I have no clue what Watts spent on his TV tapings as far as his undercard guys, like you know this Randy Bass, the Turk, Billy Billy the Star Child Star, Mike Hudspeth. I I don't know what he. I have no clue. Not even in earthly idea of what Watts would have spent on these guys, but I just was, you know, I did think that, like, man, he spared no expenses on the guys that were going to do the job on this episode, because I don't know, I mean, it's just it's just, you don't have much there to chew on other than the bits on commentary, to be honest with you, when it comes to most of the matches on this week. Randy Bass is such an interesting look to him, just that big mustache, and he just looks like, I don't know, he looks like he's a trucker, or he works at a gas station, and 1982. I don't know. He's just yeah. such an interesting looking guy. And uh, that he- thick, that thick walrus type. I don't even call it <laughs> yeah. a walrus. That thick mustache. I mean, it's um, it's unreal how thick that mustache is. It's just wow. See, yeah. I think Jim Starr was the leader of their prison gang, and Randy Bass was kind of like the sidekick. You know, with the mustache, he doesn't really say much, but he's got a little bit of size. He could be tough, and he's always watching the back of Jim Starr. Meanwhile, Billy the Star Child Star is a wild card. You don't know what he's going to do. He's got that weird wrist guard thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Well, well on to Ted DiBiase and Randy. <laughs> what did you have from this, Brian? Well, we have a little bit of audio from Bill Watts. You know, we played some audio from the previous match where Watts recaps the Dick Murdoch, Skandar Akbar feud. In this match, it's actually really, when you think about it, it's really interesting. And it's really cool. He recaps what is really several months now of the Ted DiBiase feud with Roop, Orndorff, Akbar, And he, he does it so briefly, and he explains it all so perfectly. It's easy to forget that he's talking about a long period of time. Like, this is long-term booking here. This is something being laid out months in advance, and you're actually seeing why it pays off to let things have time to play out. And you'll, and you'll keep seeing it, by the way, in the weeks ahead. But uh, let's play this audio, Mike, and we'll talk about it on the other side. Well, young Ted DiBiase, a fantastic athlete, former North American champion, man that's without a doubt one of the top contenders. He'll be watching closely later as a junkyard dog wrestles Bob Roop for that North American title. It's Ted DiBiase is the one that, that Roop had engineered with Paul Orndorff, the reverse on the figure four leg lock, and then they had schemed with Skandar Akbar and the one-man gang and then, of course, Roop showing the true deviousness of his nature had uh, evidently or allegedly jimmied Paul Orndorff's car, then took his place and went right on with the plan he'd made with Skandar Akbar and the one-man gang. Won DiBiase's North American title, and Ted DiBiase was off a month with stretched ligaments of the knee. Then this last week, DiBiase and the grappler in a great battle here on Mid-South. The assassin came in. Big Ernie Ladd, the man who DiBiase cost DiBiase $2,500 a month ago here, Boyd Pierce, when he was your guest commentator and went to Ernie Ladd's rescue. 
as they try to gang up on Ernie Ladd again. And DiBiase said there's a lot of things in the past between him and Ladd, but there are some common bonds, and that could be a common bond of revenge. They know they got to band together to defeat General Akbar. And of course, the dog and Mr. Olympia have certainly decimated Akbar's ranks in their destruction of Afa and Sika, the Samoan warriors. They've totally annihilated them. Akbar maybe has a new one in this Rick Hangman Harris. He says he's not in Akbar's army, has no contract with him, but Akbar is the one that scouted him, brought him here to try Dick Murdoch, and he was unsuccessful in beating the big man from Waxahachie. But he certainly showed a, a cunning and a deviousness and a and a maybe a little sadistic streak that would fit right in. Akbar DiBiase shows he's in no mood to take anything anymore. Ted DiBiase said he's fed up. Well, there it is, Mike. Watts kind of lays everything out. What'd you think of that? Yeah, I thought that's this was a really like nice segment in during the match. I mean, because you got we just talked about it. It's Ted DiBiase versus Randy Bates. What the hell are we going to talk about here if we don't, you know, spice things up a little? So um, I thought Watts did a good job of recapping the entire storyline with DiBiase, Roop, Akbar, Lad. You know, over the last oh, it's got to be four to five months. I mean, we're 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 in the June, so yeah. I mean, six months maybe. So you know, Watts mentions that JYD and Olympia, you know, decimated the Samoan Warriors and sent them on their way. I mean, just there's just a lot of stuff in this match that Watts talked about that I just think was really important because again, you got a match where not nothing much is going to happen. So uh, just this. Long-term storytelling and long-term booking that Watts had in place meant something. And it's just something that I don't know if we see as much these days because it's just not that way. You're you're just – I don't know. I just this is, this, is, this is old school wrestling and the long-term storytelling and booking at its finest. The name Paul Orndorff is brought up several times in that segment with Bill Watts or that match with Bill Watts. And he was a key part of this whole program. But we don't see him again, do we? Yeah, I was trying to remember. Um, he kind of just disappears. And that's the way you write someone off a wrestling show where weeks later someone goes, hey, what happened to that guy? And then- <laughs> But see, like, they used to do that. Like, you know, I don't know if younger audience, like young wrestling fans realize that they would do that all the time back then where guys just disappeared and then you realized – you know, weeks and months later, what the heck happened to such and such? But that was the beauty of the territories, too, because they could always just pop back up and it would pop back up out of nowhere. And when they did, because you hadn't seen them in six months, a year or even longer, there was a big surprise. Like Cornette always says that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but he goes, how can I miss you if you never go away? I, I mean, I that so I don't like always, ever look at that as a bad thing. It's it's a good thing that he disappeared. Now, the thing is, it's where he disappeared, too. Um, you know, I mean, we we end up seeing him in another promotion. But my point is, and I can't remember when, when Orndorff exactly ends up in WWF. I'm sure you've got that memorized. You're a greater historian than it, it I am. It was the fall of 83. Yeah, it was a little bit later. Okay, so a little bit, much later. It was later than I'm thinking then. But, I mean, the point is, go back to it. How can you miss somebody if they never go away? Um, you know, but Orndorff, to the point you're making, yeah, he kind of just uh, disappeared into the night. I mean, if you're, what was the last promo we saw with him? Was it the one where he's in the ring talking about, you know, Rube pulling the thing off his car and his starter and he couldn't get there? No, it was after that. It was him and Ernie Ladd when they uh, teamed up to fight off the assassin and one man gang. That's right. That's right. And and then we never see him again. So, (laughs) well, 
Another one for Akbar, I guess. Maybe <laughs> they just don't want to say it on the air. But Ted DiBiase wins this match with a power slam. And from there, we get the return, second week in a row after his debut, Steve Dr. Death Williams versus Billy the Star Child Star with Alfred Neely as the referee. And Doc is, I mean, Watts has 300 pounds here. He looks, I mean, he's big here, Mike. He's got some girth to him, dude. He, that's uh, the best way I can describe it. He's a he's a he's a he's a big old boy. Um, he's um, and when we say big, I think we talked about this in his debut. He's not defined. He's not cut, but he's a solid ma- piece of man. I mean, he's just massive. Uh, is the best way to describe it. Uh, what did uh, what did Watts say he weighed? He or 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 his football coach wants him to get down to two fifty or two sixty. How much did you say Watts said he weighed right here? I didn't have it noted. I think he said three hundred. Uh, he looks every bit of it. I mean, depending on how how tall he was at that point, he's just. But it, but to the point you made, he's solid, man. He's a he, he's a solid dude. Well, let's hear a little bit of audio. Of Bill Watts talking about Doctor Death and his relationship with football and wrestling, and the pride that Watts feels for Doctor Death. Let's hear this right now. Action continues now with the introduction of Billy Starr in the black tights, and of course representing the Big Red of the University of Oklahoma. Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Bill Watts, I really enjoyed what I seen last week of this big man. His athletic prowess carrying over down to the wonderful world of professional wrestling. Right, well, and Billy Starr is going to find out that his, he's a powerful young man. Like I say, bench press is about 485. I was down at the uh, alumni game, the spring game, at the end of spring training, and uh, one thing Barry Switzer insisted on, he said, Bill, he said, I'm going to let him wrestle pro this summer, but I want him down to between 250 and 260 to play guard next year. So Doc is weighing around 300. Got about eight weeks to trim down to that that 250-pound, 260-pound playing weight that Coach Switcher demands. I know all the kids on the OU team will be looking in and watching Doc, and they're just as proud of his progress. He's one of the best-like youngsters ever to come out of the University of Oklahoma. I know that Stan Abel, the coach of the Oklahoma University Sooner wrestling teams, all his opponents are glad the Doc has graduated. See that quickness that he has, that big man. He's quick reaction. Look at the power. Like I say, I had him at my home. He was working out. I taught him the Oklahoma Stampede. And, and as you'd recognize, those, those old wrestling shoes, Boyd Pierce, Doc and I are the same size. He's wearing my old wrestling shoes. I'm really proud that he's this youngster wants to wrestle pro. And look at the bear hug. I guess I carried away. It's almost like a fatherly pride, and I, I got to meet his father at, uh, at the Nationals at Iowa State in Ames, Iowa, and his dad is so proud of him. His, his, his older brother, who was a tight end at Oklahoma, a great family. The kid's just got a tremendous background, a tremendous love of kids. He, the, the time my youngsters had with him, Eric and Micah, just thought that he was the greatest, and Joel, my oldest, he was even out in the, in the gym showing Micah, my little 12-year-old heavyweight, some, some of the heavyweight moves that made him so successful. Well, there it is, Bill Watts on his fatherly pride for Dr. Death Steve Williams. Mike, any thoughts on those comments or the match in general? He's got a, he's got a man crush on <laughs> Dr. Death. <laughs> I mean, I get it. You know, he's from the, the school he's from, and he's, you know, there's pride there. So, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not really making fun of him when I say that, but he's definitely got some 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 prideful thoughts about Dr. Death. Uh, interesting, he talks about Dr. Death's weight coming down in the next eight weeks. He wants him down from 300, or Switzer wants him down from 300 to 250 to 260. That's a major cutting. Uh, man, I don't know. That seems kind of 
that seems excessive, but I mean, it is two months, so possible, I guess. You're still looking at 20 pounds a month. That seems a lot, but whatever. Um, you know, Dr. Death, he he does mention that Dr. Death is wearing his old wrestling boots. And, you know, Watts talks about teaching Dr. Death almost like a fatherly figure, it seems. But um, I think Doc looked a little better this week to me. He definitely was much more aggressive than he was last week. He was not nearly as apprehensive and unsure in the ring. Did you share those same sentiments? At all? I, again, oh, I'm not. No. Oh, no, 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 no. You know what? There was a point in this match, and I don't remember exactly where it was. It may have been around the time of the bear hug, where I said, wow, he looks pretty good in there for his second match. He looks pretty good. Like, he's handling things well. Everything's paced well. And then everything felt stalled. Where It seemed like it happened over and over. It probably happened like three times. He shot yeah, Billy Starr into the corner, and yeah. then he very slowly, <laughs> very, very slowly walked over there and would slowly hit him with a couple of forearms, and then it would just happen again. And yeah, I think, I that think felt, Star that like, felt endless. <laughs> that felt endless. Yeah, I think Star like called a spot, and Doc had it, and then shot him off, and then was like, "Oh damn!" Like he forgot. But I mean, it's his second match. It's his second TV match. This is another thing. I wanted to ask you this. I couldn't find it. I meant to send you a message about this during the week, but. I couldn't find it anywhere. I was trying to figure out. I know this is sec- it's his second TV match, but I can't figure out if he had a, a non-televised match at all before any of these. That's what I was looking for. And I, I couldn't I, – I looked a bunch of different places, but I, I know you, there's this database you use as well. And I was like, I should have um, I should have sent you a message to ask you about it. But I was trying to figure out if this was actually more than just his second match. I mean, even – honestly, even if it's his 15th match – to be truthful, it's not going to make that much of a difference, in my opinion. But it's just, uh, I was just curious if this was truly his second match. Off the top of my head, I don't remember seeing any record of him working dark matches or dark matches, right. arena shows before this, but I would have to really go back and check. Obviously, I didn't uh, know you were going to ask me that, but I think I will yeah. remember. I haven't seen that. Yeah, me either. So, assuming this is truly his second match, he's all right, but he, there, he's. I say he was more aggressive in in certain parts, but he's not as apprehensive and unsure. There are those flubs you talked about, but again, second match, so what are you going to do? Dr. Death does win with the big old power slam to get the victory over Billy Starr, though. From there, we get a recap of the angle last week where Dick Murdoch is hanged by the hangman Rick Harris and Skandar Akbar and crew. Coming out of that, we get hangman Rick Harris against Mike Hudspeth with Rick Ferreira as the referee. And I have a little bit of audio I'm going to play here, Mike. And I don't know why I was intrigued by it, but I said, we have nothing else to say about this match, really. So let's get something from this match. This is at one point, and I got to say, I I think Hangman Rick Harris looks pretty good in there. I really am enjoying his run so far, the couple weeks he's been in here. But Mike Hudspeth hits him with a forearm, and it seems to really pop Bill Watts. So let's hear just a little bit of Bill Watts building up Mike Hudspeth and talking about what's going on here. Well, Mike Hudspeth, a youngster that's trying to also make a name for himself. Wow, he popped him a good forearm right up in the running light area. These guys are wasting no time. This is one thing about Mid-South. They come here, they know they got to get it on because they know matchmaker Grizzly Smith is watching. And that's where they make the team as far as getting booked in these top matches. And, of course, he ends it by taking a marrying crumbly bump onto his back. So that's a great way to end it if you're under the uh, the eyes of the 
Mid-South Wrestling Booking Committee, but I did like that. Just a little bit about, you know, why these guys want to be fired up here at Mid-South Wrestling, because that's how you get noticed. Hangman Rick Harris wins with, what would you call it, Mike? The Hangman Choke? I, you know, I had a note about that. It's really weird. He, he's got, Harris has Hudspeth draped over his back as Harris holds him by his neck and chin. It looks painful enough for me, though, as a, as a, as a move. So I guess you can call it the hangman choke would be the best way to describe it. If you were giving it a name of some sort. Looks very painful. I will say that. And again, what, what do you think about what I said before? I actually like hangman Rick Harris here so far. He's got a good look, to be honest with you. Just that black singlet, hangman Rick Harris, the hair. He's um he's in decent shape. I mean, he's not like a you know, he doesn't have a big beer belly out there with that singlet on. Yeah. I he looks good. I mean, he's a he's a big, powerful man and it, it, just the style that Mid South worked where the guys are kicking and punching the crap out of each other, I think he fit in well with the area, to be honest with you. I mean, he looks good though. From there we go to a very, very big match here. It's a title match. The North American champion, Bob Roop, versus the Junkyard Dog, who is also both the Louisiana State champion and one half of the Mid-South Tag Team champions. Alfred Neely, the referee. We're going to play a bunch of audio in a second here, Mike, but I have a little bit of audio I want to play first because this was, I've never heard an example like this. I had to isolate it. You know, when we talk about Mid-South Wrestling, we joke about the fact that Boyd Pierce will say, and now here's Bill Watts, and then Bill Watts will talk, and then Boyd Pierce will say, we'll be right back after this, that he doesn't get a word in. I found an example of Boyd getting a word in and Watts literally stops him mid mid sentence and changes the topic. Cuts him off. Cuts him off. So listen to this real quick uh, and then we'll come right back out of this. Bill, and he's a top drawer in professional wrestling box office attraction all over and everywhere he goes, the fans in other cities are just finding well, Boyd, you're what- just saying too how devious and cunning Bob Roop is. The thing about Bob Roop, he's got all the physical attributes. He just completely stopped him and changed the topic. <laughs> He's just railroaded old Boyd right there. Boyd is on another topic and Watts just, well, I tell you something, he just cuts him off and goes into getting his own stuff in. <laughs> uh, you can do that when you're the owner, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, good match. What'd you think of this match? Very, very good match. I really enjoyed it. Um, they went after each other. You know, one key point is, like Brian said, JYD is a Louisiana champ, but he's also one half of the tag champs. But the only belt on the line here would be the North American title. I thought this was good. The crowd was into it. They uh, they were enjoying JYD putting it to Bob Roop here. We're going to play some audio now of the end of this match, and a lot of it will be apparent, but whatever isn't apparent, we will talk about on the other side as well as our closing thoughts on this match. And right here, the junkyard dog, the most powerful youngster. Look at him, brace himself. That tremendous explosion. That's the difference in your professional athletes is they can explode from any position at any time. They got that change of pace. The dog firing back. Side suplex shows the dog his advanced constantly as he studies the sport that he loves so much he's a great family man the guy loves the sport the business the way to make his family the money and support him in a style like he said that he never had as a kid and here he goes. the one-man gang boyd pierce it is the one-man gang it's a ring he's trying to do like he did the dibiase he's going to try to get the dog's leg and the one-man gang just threw alfred neely out here you can hear him thump clear across and he's got the junkyard dog and he's trying Neely's calling for the bell, Boyd Pierce. But they're trying to wipe out the junkyard dog. Roop already has the title. 
He doesn't care about losing the match. Ernie Ladd just came with a chair. Ernie Ladd just came with a chair, and he's after the one-man gang. But Bob Roop is pulling the dog in. The dog, we don't know how bad that knee is. He has that bad knee from football. We don't know if the gang got him. Skandar Akbar on the scene, and Ladd's going after Akbar. The one-man gang was really hammered. The shoulder breaker by Bob Roop. The, still, Bob Roop has a title. He doesn't care about the disqualification. He's trying to eliminate an opponent. DiBiase. DiBiase sacrificed himself. DiBiase sacrificed himself to save the dog. What a love. What a feeling between these great athletes that have a common enemy. Roop going for the high knee of the dog. The dog is howling. Boy, Pierce, the dog is unleashed. He's unleashed a fury. The back of the alley in the ghetto, like he said, fight for his life. And And he's trying to take, he's going to take Bob Roop. He's strangling him out there. The assassin and the grappler, the referee trying to hold back the dog. They're trying to pull, tug, pry Bob Roop away from the grasp of the junkyard dog. The junkyard dog is incensed. DiBiase, pandemonium boy, Pierce. And we'll be back. There will be more action after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. A lot going on there, Mike. And it's all really, really done well. That crowd is just going crazy. Tie anything up that you think wasn't explained well and give your thoughts. I think Bill Watts did a great job of narrating everything that happened there. From the time that gang comes out and to me, gang symbolically wraps JYD's knee around the same corner post that he did with DiBiase months ago. Um, I'm going to assume he didn't get it cinched in as well and had enough time to damage the knee because JYD is still moving around a little bit after, although he is selling it, you know, lad comes out to help JYD. He hits gang with the chair. Um, We get, I thought the key moment going through the end was so JY. So, DiBiase comes out and covers dog as Roop is about to come off the top rope and drop the knee on the dog. And Watts yells, DiBiase sacrificed himself to save the dog. DiBiase is out right there. You know, Roop stays on the attack, but dog gets him back and dog starts howling. And I always love back in the day when Watts would talk about JYD is like a fight in the ghetto. He's, he's scrapping and clawing. Uh, <laughs> You know, they even grapple an assassin come out to pull Roop out of the ring. JYD's fired up. Again, he's selling a knee, but it doesn't appear to be too hurt. It's just another wild segment, really good segment, and into the match. I think, to me, the key is the fact that DiBiase comes out and saves Dog um, as we go throughout the next few months. is going to be an interesting aspect to that because he loved the Dog so much, he came out and saved him. So just keep that in mind. Obviously, that goes somewhere. And there's also a lot of other things that are kind of tied into this, including Ernie Ladd running in and actually helping the dog by helping himself because he wants to get a piece of the one-man gang in Akbar. It just so happens they're going after the dog. He has a long history with the dog. Also, the dog turned him down when he said, hey, brother, let's bury the hatchet. I'll give you $10,000. And the dog hung up on him. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Never forget that. So there's that. There's all these things going on. And, you know, on this specific episode, Mike, with the recaps that we've had of the long-term feuds and the ebbs and the flows and where things have gone, this kind of really shows you the strength of Mid-South Wrestling right here in that everything makes sense. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts, but everything keeps moving forward and everything just 
Nothing condescends. Everything talks right to you and explains to you what's going on. Yeah, I can't add much to it, man. I mean, like you said, it, everything everything makes sense. Everything has a, a point to it. I mean, even in these matches where nothing's happening, Watch is still narrating, kind of giving us some some thoughts and, you know, the breadcrumb trail. I mean, remember earlier he talked about DiBiase and the whole, you know, last five to six months it was relates to Akbar and everything that's gone on. So just uh, and we got the breadcrumb trail. We got some good storytelling. But this right here was a really good segment. Um, and we're going to find out more. Uh, th- th- this is... This is going to lead somewhere too. This because this is off with DiBiase and Roop still isn't over, and we just we got a lot we got a lot to still you know tap into here. Uh, this is some good storytelling though, man. And again, the thing was I want to point out because we haven't even harped on this or talked about it at all. But it, it was a DQ, no no title change. JYD is going to win this match, uh, but it was a DQ. So, but still, even though it was a DQ, and it was actually a relatively short match, lots of excitement to it. And think about it now. We are in June, and it was January when you had everything going on still with DiBiase and Roop and Orndorff, and when Ernie Ladd returned with the Samoans, which of course led to the Samoans going with Akbar, starting the Akbar Ernie Ladd feud. So this is six months now of booking, all coming to a head the next several weeks and building to the future. And from there, Mike, we get our next match The Grappler and the Assassin versus Jesse Barr and Coco Samoa. And we're going to have a little bit of audio right here of Bill Watts wrapping up everything from the previous segment. Jesse Barr, fine young amateur from Portland. A grappler, a seasoned veteran. Coco Samoa, the assassin. This should be a great bout. Boy, I'm still, I guess, sitting here a little bit under shock in the fact that when you really let it set in, you realize that Skandar Akbar is not the only man that's cunning. Bob Root, without a doubt, so repetitive of what he did with DBS, except for one thing. Rube didn't have to be with as much subterfuge because the disqualification didn't change the title. So Bob Rube, when the disqualification, the only the only thing that surprised Bob Rube and them was when Ernie Ladd, probably one of the most avid former enemies of the junkyard dog, but knowing that he had spent six weeks off and had major surgery, came and planted the one-man gang to show that Ernie Ladd is definitely going to be a spoiler with anybody that in Akbar's army has plans or in the assassin or a grappler that they're going to have to reckon with Ernie Ladd. But still then Roop, even when seeing the chance, still tried to eliminate the dog, maybe from wrestling, especially as a contender. And of course, DiBiase, who was watching the match, came to the dog's rescue and sacrificed himself, and then the dog just went crazy and actually, I think, tried to annihilate Bob Root. Disqualification, the dog the winner, the title does not change hands. And the first of two standby matches scheduled. And right there it is. Bill Watts wraps up everything, just like we did from the previous match. And there's not too much to say about this match right here, Mike. Uh, the grappler and the assassin win. When the grappler does that move, it's kind of like a shoulder breaker slam, or as they refer to it, the grappler move. So yeah, I don't know how to explain it either. I mean, yeah. he just he's got the guy's arm extended and they basically take a face bump kind of out the corner. He does that to Coco Samoa. Uh, I really again, I don't know what to call it to be honest with you. Uh Watts does Watts does his normal recap after a big segment or after a big match and you know, it's again, he's just kind of wrapping things up so that you kind of know where things stand there. So much has happened and 
We are less than an hour into the show, obviously. There's still some time to go. So we get another standby match, and this next match is Iron Mike Sharp versus Jim Starr with Alfred Neely as the referee. This match, being a remainder of time match, gives Bill Watts an opportunity to talk about some of the other things happening in the world of Bill Watts. Let's listen to this right now. We'll talk about it on the other side. The grab from the assassin just showed us what a formidable team they are. The dog and Mr. Olympia certainly have to all be on their guard. Plus, you see the added thing with dog and Olympia is they both represent state titles. The Louisiana title, the junkyard dog, and the Mississippi title of Mr. Olympia. Under a lot of pressure, these men. I'd like to take a moment here to say hello to all my friends at Downtown Air Park in Oklahoma City. They just repainted my Aerostar November 6891 Delta the end number, and they did a great job, and they certainly one thing I appreciate is they'd had some problems with one of the paint jobs on it due to some environmental problems on the primer, and when I took it back for a look at it, and the paint job on a twin engine is an expensive situation, those guys said, Bill, it's our fault, and we stand behind our work, and the, they thought they thought they're just going to have to touch it up. They called me and said, nope, we're going to have to completely redo it. And Boyd Pearson, this day and age, nobody wants to stand up and back their product. And i got to say one thing. My hat's off to those guys. They did a fine job, stood behind their warranty and their and their reputation. And uh, I want to mention that right here in front of everybody because there's a lot of, lot of aircraft owners out there. And I want to say that the downtown air park did a great thing for me. Very commendable. My oldest son, Joel, did a solo cross-country. The day I delivered my plane over there for it to be repainted, and of course downtown Air Park is a much smaller runway than what Joel was used to landing on, and that was a few anxious moments as he, but he made it okay. And I guess all, all fathers are anxious when their children are under moments of uh, stress and test. Well, there it is. Some news about <laughs> Bill Watts' paint job on his twin-engine plane, and. Again, a follow-up on the Joel Watts flying story from a few weeks ago, similar to how Bill Watts built up Steve Dr. Death Williams for weeks and weeks by talking about his collegiate career. He builds up Joel Watts' arrival by talking about his flying techniques for the last couple of weeks, and he'll be arriving uh, shortly as a referee and then later on as a commentator, of course. But, Mike, any thoughts on uh, this shameless plug here in the middle of the show? So in the background, obviously, you got Iron Mike Sharp versus Jim Starr. Uh, remaining TV time match, Watts calls it the second standby. So I wanted to point that out. He literally said those words. This is the second standby. Uh, and then Watts just decides to filibuster. He starts thanking the folks at downtown downtown Air Park in Oklahoma City for painting his plane. And he mentions how um, there are a lot of airplane owners, and he wanted to mention the good business practices of this air park because they stand behind their product and redid the whole paint job. Okay, Bill, I'm sure there's so many people out there in the audience who have planes like you and can afford them, and they will definitely bring their service to uh, or bring their plane to be repainted to downtown Air Park in Oklahoma City. Uh, obviously, Bill must have had a good working relationship with these people, and you know, in doing so, he wanted to make sure he gave them a plug on air. But I just thought it was yeah, very or, random. Or <laughs> they watch Mid-South Wrestling, and they said, Bill Watts is calling. It's a paint issue. If we don't fix this, he's going to kill us like he did Katsabula's on TV for weeks. We better just redo the whole thing. <laughs> That's a good possibility. But in return, it's basically a free commercial for them, even though I'm not sure there are a ton of people in the TV viewing audience who have their own plane. 
That's true. Uh, but yet, this match continues. Mike Sharp versus Jim Starr. There's a little more audio I want to play from this match, Mike. By the way, the bleachers are emptying out. The bleachers are empty here. It's the end of the taping. And there's so much time left and so little to talk about. That boy just starts thanking the crew. So for one of the rare times, we get to hear some of the names of the people behind the scenes of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Show. Let's listen to this. You guys are going after it, but I don't know if we're going to get a decision. I know they'll be disappointed if they don't. They'd like to gain a victory. Well, uh, not enough. Congratulations to matchmaker Grizzly Smith for presenting a North American heavyweight title. Our thanks to our cameraman and a job well done, to Paul White and John Purdy, our esteemed director, Oral Link, and his assistants, John Stokely and Burt Locke, and to our guest commentator, who's always the number one in our hearts, whether he's in the ring as the Oklahoma Stampeder or here with his expertise. Well, boy, time want, is just about gone. We want to thank the fans for inviting us into their home again. It's always a pleasure, and the bouts that Grizzly Smith has, I'd pay to see him, so you inviting me to be your commentator. Thank you, Bill. Great. And Boyd Pearson, goodbye, everybody. Till next week on Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. And right there is where we end it. We get to hear Bill White. What did he say? Number one in our hearts and minds, whether in yes. the ring or here on commentary. Yes. <laughs> He's laying yes. it on a bit thick there, but yes. Yes, they had to fill up the time with something. They couldn't just allow uh, Jim Starr and Iron Mike Sharp to to fill the time and call the match. They wanted to get some other. They wanted to get their stuff in, as they say nowadays. And by the way, no finish. So no winner, Mike Sharp versus Jim Starr. No contest because uh, I guess, was it a no contest or a draw? Well, I guess technically maybe it's a draw, I guess. Uh, No, uh, time expired. So, well, yeah, draw because of the time expired. Well, and, you know, before we wrap things up, Mike, uh, Quickly, I want to go over some of the results from around this period of time. We've heard from some listeners who said they wanted me to do this again. So real quick, this show aired on the 5th of June, 1982. On June 4th, 1982, in Shreveport, Louisiana, at the Municipal Auditorium, Ted DiBiase defeated Bob Roop via disqualification. The Assassin and the Grappler defeated the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia. Uh, I got to find out more about that result, because obviously they're the champions. I don't know if there was a DQ there or if this is incomplete. The one-man gang defeated Ernie Ladd via DQ. Steve Williams defeated Billy Starr. Mike Sharp defeated Mike Bond. And Jesse Barr defeated Rick Ferreira, who is our replacement referee here this week on the television show. The same day this aired, on June 5th, 1982, in Alexandria, Louisiana, at the Rapides Parish Coliseum, the card was Mr. Olympia and the Junkyard Dog versus the one-man gang and the assassin, Ted DiBiase versus Bob Roop. Mike Sharp versus Mike Bond, The Grappler versus Ernie Ladd, Steve Dr. Death Williams versus Billy Starr, and Jesse Barr also on the card. And a few days later in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, at the Riverside Centriplex, on June 8th, 1982, Ernie Ladd defeated the one-man gang via disqualification, Bob Roop defeated Ted DiBiase, The Junkyard Dog defeated The Grappler, Steve Williams defeated Mike Bond, Mike Sharp defeated Billy Starr, and Jesse Barr defeated Rick Ferreira. And that's some of the action happening in and around Mid-South Wrestling around the time this show aired. And with that, another week of Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast in the books. And as we wrap things up, I want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcast. You can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605Pod. And of course, you can listen to the 605 Super Podcast wherever it is that you find 
your favorite podcast, or listen to every single episode in the archive at 605pod.com. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and Booking the Territory? Well, first, you can listen to Booking the Territory twice per week at tinyurl.com slash bttpod, or just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from, whether it's Podcast Addict, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, all the places you can get your podcast. Again, just search Booking the Territory, and you will find us. Myself, Hardbody Harper, Doc Turner, twice per week covering Smoking Mountain Wrestling and the old NWA Saturday night shows on TBS from the mid-'80s. It's a wild time. We're the unprofessional podcast for a reason there's it is pretty wild so you have been warned but please come listen to us i think you'll be entertained and you will definitely enjoy and then give me a follow on twitter at mike 504 saints i would definitely appreciate it other than that brian that's all i have man the mid-south wrestling television review podcast is a production of the arcadian vanguard podcast network for mike mills i'm the great brian last book it mm-hmm.